front and uh, ordinands, as they're called, people who are going to be ordained this morning into the eldership after our election, uh, which we have had as a congregation. You know, this is a, a significant time in the life of our church. Um, just have you three stand here, if you would, and the present elders who are with us today uh, behind me, representing, of course, the present session. But truly, uh, a significant time in the life of the church. Um, uh, these three today are stepping into the leadership of this congregation. Uh, we've had an election, and we've been seeking to... Um, I'll just maybe get you guys to tilt a little this way so the people behind this big man can see. There we go. There we go. How's that? Yeah, you tilt as well, will you? There we go. There we go. But uh, we've had an election and uh, after a nomination process, and as I've described to you, it is all about discerning the will of God. And we come to this place today, and uh, these three people, uh, and one other, Colin Harbinson, who's not well enough to be with us, uh, we will ordain him when he is. Uh, at, at a future service. But these three people, we believe with all of our hearts, uh, are the individuals that God has for us. Uh, and today they enter into the leadership of the church. Uh, I want to put it this way. Uh, they enter in and they are made part of the leadership by God. Not by me, not by you. Elder, uh, the election is a, an indication of God's will and the decision of elders to ordain, that's an indication of God's will. But these people are, are being ordained today. I'm ordained as a minister of word and sacrament. These people are called ruling elders. God places them in that position. And they're going to answer questions about um, uh, their faith and, and their commitment to this congregation. I'm going to ask you questions. And really the questions are about your faith and whether you'll receive these people as your leadership, spiritual authority uh, in this congregation. So I want, as I've encouraged them to take the questions seriously, I want you to take them seriously. And as we do before God, um, the work of God will be done. So, having said these things, I turn to these three, Jason McLaughlin, Kelly Esseltine, and Brian Rankema, as uh, God has led you to this, this place. Uh, I'm going to ask you these questions and uh, just have you respond to them. Do you believe in God the Father made known in his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom the Holy Spirit witnesses in the scriptures of the Old and the New Testaments? Do you uh, accept the subordinate standards of this church promising to uphold its doctrine under the continual illumination and correction of the Holy Spirit, speaking in the scriptures, and to be guided thereby in fostering Christian belief, worship, and service among the people? Do you accept the government of this church by sessions, presbyteries, synods, and general assemblies? And do you promise to share in and submit yourself to all lawful oversight therein, and to, to follow no divisive course, but to seek the peace and unity of Christ among your people and throughout the Holy Catholic Church. And accepting the office of elder, do you promise to perform your duties in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, striving to build up his church and to strengthen its mission in the world? Thank you. I'm going to now turn to the congregation, and uh, I'm going to ask you to stand up. This is kind of an official reality today, and, and, and we want to make it so because of its importance. So I ask these questions to you, and your response, if you are willing, is we do at the appropriate time. Do you confess your faith in God as creator and ruler of the world, in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, and in the Holy Spirit as your inspiration and strength? Do you receive these three Jason McLaughlin, Kelly Esseltine, and Brian Rankema as elders chosen by God through the voice of this congregation to lead you in the way of Christ. 
Do you agree to encourage them to respect their decisions as they guide you, serving Jesus Christ, who alone is the head of the church? Thank you. We'll remain standing as we pray uh, and as these three are ordained. Gracious God, we thank you for uh, what you have done in the life of our church. We have prayed and we have thought and we have sought your mind that we might do your will. And our Lord, you have led us to this place with three, three wonderful people who have been um, elected and now are being ordained into the eldership of the church. God, we thank you for Jason and for Kelly and for Brian. We thank you for the faith they hold. We thank you for the passion they have for your son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you now for their desire to enter into the leadership of this congregation, that we might move forward from strength to strength, that we might be a congregation which is led into effective ministry in this world for Christ so that we might see the kingdom of God come in power, not only in our own lives, but in this world where you have situated us. God, we come and we would pray now that you would be with them, that your hand would be upon them, that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit, and that, Lord, uh, they would know your, your presence, that they would know your guidance, God, that they would know your strength in the challenging times. And that, God, they would lead this congregation with others faithfully before you. Lord, their challenge, as is the challenge of all the elders, is not to lead the congregation as we choose it to be led, but to go into your presence and to hear your voice and to do exactly what it is you call us to do. And our Father, as, as the spiritual leadership and authority of this congregation, our prayer is for all of the session now, all of the elders who join together on a regular basis to pray and to study your word and to listen for your voice and to do as you direct. We pray for guidance, Lord. We pray that you would bless us. We pray that you would enable us and that you would guide us. But today, our Lord, especially we pray for Brian, Kelly, and Jason. We just pray that you will um, enable them, that you will help them to grow in faith and then deepen in their love for you and in their knowledge of your word and in a commitment to you, Lord, even beyond where they stand right now. And we pray, our Father, that by the work of your Spirit, that you will uh, allow them uh, to be significant in, in the direction of this church and where you would take it. So, God, we pray your blessing on them. We pray your hand would be upon their lives. <clears throat> we pray that you would use them in a significant and in a powerful way. And Lord, I, I, we pray, too, that as, as they enter into this office, Lord, that you would draw each of them closer to you day by day that they would know your presence in a powerful way, that they would become, as, I, as we have prayed, Lord, in even a greater fashion, people of godliness, people who can be an example this, to this congregation, people who can lead in the way that this church needs led. So God, even as we pray, we recognize their ordination and we, we just praise you for them. And we ask that your hand would be upon them and that your goodness would be with them. Bless them, Lord. Bless us all as we seek to serve you in the way of Christ. And our God, this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Shake your hand. God bless you. God bless you, Kelly. Can I get a hug? Yeah. God bless you, Jesus. We're going to pray again. And we're going to ask God to, to guide and to uh, lead and to bless as we give our offering uh, this morning. Lord, you're good to us. We are a blessed people. Uh, even thinking of these three and soon to be four with Colin uh, joining the session, uh, that, uh, Lord, we just see your hand at work in this church. We see people's lives being changed. 
Uh, Lord, we see faith being deepened. We see us reaching out into the community in new ways. And we just are thankful, God, that you are at work in this place. Uh, Lord, we give now that your work might be done. Very literally, we give that lives might be impacted and that this world might be changed. Uh, we know you call us to this, Lord. It's so clearly scriptural that we give tithes and offerings to our God as an act of faith, as an act of love, and as an act of worship. So, Lord, we give, trusting you, our God, uh, that the gifts given today would be used in a mighty way because you so empower the use of these gifts uh, so that your work is done in this world. So, Lord, out of love, out of gratitude, and out of joy, we give to you now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Psalm 136 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, his love endures forever. Are you catching the theme yet? Who by his understanding made the heavens, his love endures forever. Who spread out the earth upon the waters, his love endures forever. Who made the great lights, his love endures forever the sun to govern the day, his love endures forever, the moon and the stars to govern the night, his love endures forever. The psalmist goes on and, and speaks about God's goodness to the Israelites as he brought them out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, through the wilderness, and through all of these battles into the promised land, and how God was faith, faithful to, to them and that his love endured forever in each and every one of those circumstances. And then in verse 23, it says, he remembered us in our low estate. His love endures forever and freed us from our enemies. His love endures forever. He gives food to every creature. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His love endures forever. And we're gonna continue to worship so I invite you to stand to your feet. And we're going to give thanks to our God, whose love endures forever in every circumstance, in every season. He is faithful to save, and his love endures forever. You are the word of the Beautiful name. 
earth could not hold you. The veil tore before you. You silenced the boast of sin and
Let's pray together. Lord God, week by week, you call us into your presence. You call us into your presence that we might worship you, that we might remember who you are. Lord, no matter what the circumstance of our life uh, might be, your love endures forever. That, Lord, we have one named Christ whose name is worthy, who has gone to the cross on our behalf and died for our sin, that we might be forgiven, that we might be your children. Lord, you call us into this place that we might encounter you and your truth once again. We might draw close to you. And that we might love you, honor you, worship you with all that we have. God, now as we turn from praise to your word, we pray that you will speak in a powerful way. And that you will impact our lives. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Well, last week we began a series um, that really is about the significance and the potential significance of the Scripture, the Bible, in your life and in mine, in the life of our congregation. We began a series about the power of God's Word in our lives. We began a series about how the Word of God can and does impact us significantly. And I suppose the question to start the day today, my talk today is essentially, is that impact having, happening in you? Lots of people can go through life and there's no impact from God's word. Lots of Christians can go through life, right belief sort of sorted out in their minds, but they too are not impacted by the word of God. And the question, my friends, is, is it happening to me? Is it happening to you? I would suggest to you that the, the intention is from God. It's his heart, it's his desire, it's his will that this be happening in your life day after day, week after week, month after month, and that you be transformed by the power of God's word. Isn't that a cool idea? That God has a tool by which he wishes to impact you, to change you, to change us, to change this world. And this whole series is about that reality. Um, I, I want to admit that I'm a man on a mission here. And I hope you're buying in in a profound way. A mission that we, every single one of us, will come to a place where we recognize our need of Scripture. And more than that, that we will be actively pursuing a knowledge of the Bible. We'll be studying it. We'll be learning it. That we'll be letting God impact us through this book. Vision uh, sentence number one, we'll have that popped up right now, is that we see a thriving church where people are being formed into spiritually mature followers of Jesus by the transforming power of God's Word and the healing work of the Holy Spirit, living passionately to see God's kingdom come in every area of your life. Is it happening? That's a good question, isn't it? Um... And what we have suggested is that this year would be the year of the Bible, 2018. And we're giving focus to this in our church. And we, we described a few elements last year that we would uh, encourage people to, daily reading of the Bible. And I don't, I don't want to ask for a show of hands, but I hope that after last week's challenge, there are people in this church who have read the Bible every single day 
Seven days in a row since that challenge was given to them because it is as we expose ourselves to the Word of God that impact comes. We have a night school beginning at, in late January where Carl, our executive pastor, is going to be teaching uh, an overview of Scripture. Uh, about 30 people have already signed up. We're hoping lots more will. The story, we're going to begin that church-wide program in, in September which, in which life groups can be involved, all small groups. Uh, you can do your devotions from the material. Life groups can study it. Uh, we'll preach it on a Sunday morning. We want to get the big picture of the Bible from beginning to end, the God story, that we can live it, right? Small group Bible study, we want uh, lots of study, direct study of Scripture in those groups, week after week after week. If you're not signed up to a, uh, in a, to a small group, a life group, jump in. We, we want you that to happen in people's lives. It's central to who we are. More Scripture and worship. I celebrated today as Aaron showed his scripture and read his scripture. Man, that's the power of God being spoken into our lives. Right Now Media, we now have 130 people signed up for Right Now Media, a fantastic resource that we're making available to all of our congregation so that you can dig in and understand. You see, the question, the question comes in the end of the day, if we're going to go and, and become people who are, as our vision statement says, spiritually mature followers of Christ, who are, and jump ahead a little bit, passionately living to see the kingdom of God come in every area of life. How do you get there? How do you go from A to B? How do you go from spiritual immaturity to spiritual maturity? How do you go from living passionately maybe for something else or maybe for nothing else to living passionately for the kingdom of God to come in every area of, of life? Primary answer, my friends, is allowing the word of God to impact your life by studying it, by understanding it, by digging deep into it so that it transforms us and changes us in the way God desires. So what we are doing is looking at 2 Kings 22 where we essentially see a before and after picture of the people of God before they discovered again the word of God and after they actually did what the impact was, how it took place. See, the King Josiah orders a restoration in the Old Testament. This, this comes from the, the history of Israel. He orders a restoration of the temple, and during the restoration, a book is found which had been lost and I talked about this last week. For a lot of people, the Word of God has been lost. They've lost connection to God's Word. They don't understand God's Word, right? And, and this book is discovered and it's read to the king. And my friends, what a reaction, what a response uh, comes from King Josiah. And we're going to study that reality today. And we're going to, to see not so much the before picture, but over the next few weeks, the after picture of, of what happens in, in the life of a king, what can happen in the life of God's people when that word of God is allowed to impact. So we're going to uh, turn to 2 king, Kings chapter 22 again. I'm not going to read the passage to you, but I'm going to look at some uh, particular verses that describe to us how this godly man, King Josiah, acted, how he responded when the word of God was read to him. So let's start by looking at uh, verses 10 and 11 of that chapter. Then Shaphan the secretary informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. Now that might sound a little odd to 21st century Canadian ears. What would you feel if I stood up here and started ripping my clothes off? be more than odd, wouldn't it? <laughs> but in Josiah's day, it was not an odd thing. What's going on here, very simply, is an outward expression of what's going on in the man's heart. And on other translations, other versions of the text say that he tore his clothes in despair. And other translations said he tore his clothes in dismay. 
He is a man who is deeply, deeply troubled and he ups, is upset about the unfaithfulness uh, of, of God's people in his kingdom and about the judgment which God has pronounced against his people. They would be carted off into exile. God would take an action like that in order to ultimately restore his people to faithfulness again. And the king hears this through the word of God, likely the book of Deuteronomy, and he is impacted in a powerful way. He's troubled. He's upset. Um, essentially, what, what we see in this act, this, this king is deeply disturbed <laughs> that God's people have gone so off course and that there's so much, if you would, in the wrong some questions again for you today, which often happens in my preaching, but have you ever been deeply uh, troubled because of sin in your life? Or in the life of our church? Or in the life of our country? <laughs> have you ever come to that place where you're distressed by unfaithfulness? Now, a lot of people, it's just not part of their faith experience. <laughs> They've just never been there. Um, You know, we can become so impacted by the, the practices of the nations which surround us and the idolatry had come into Israel from the nations which surrounded them. And that, that reality becomes so normal in our lives that we just don't look at what the Bible calls sin and give it any significance. It's, ah, uh, yeah, don't think much of it. It doesn't trouble us. It's kind of normal. What's the big deal? Sometimes that, that dynamic of, of sin uh, in our lives is, is one in which... Um, You know, we, we recognize sin that is there, but go, oh, well, it's forgiven. Jesus has died. I ask for forgiveness. It's gone. And there's no impact. There's no profound impact in our experience. Such was the case in Josiah's life. You see, what often happens is that when we think about our lives and how well we're doing, we will often compare ourselves to other people who surround us and sometimes even other people who are sitting in church with us and we go, oh, you know, I'm doing pretty well. And the focus isn't so much on my sin, the focus is on how good I am. <laughs> Look at me. <gasps> right? I'm okay. Why would I get disturbed about something like that? You see, what happens is we come to that place where without a knowledge of the Word of God, we are comparing ourselves to other people, but we're not comparing ourselves to God and how God speaks in His Word. Sin becomes something that's not that big a deal because we don't recognize it as King Josiah did as an absolute violation of our relationship with God. See, in chapter 23, as we'll see next week, these people come before God and they re-covenant as a nation before the Lord. They recommit themselves to faithfulness <laughs> because they have been unfaithful to God. Their sin is against Him, ultimately. So the first potential response that I think Scripture calls us to is distress and despair, heartache, because of the things that sometimes happen in us. Second response comes to, as I would suggest, after Josiah sends his people, the people from his court, to a woman who was a prophetess named Huldah. And, and, and she responds in various ways to what Uh, has happened and what, what God has said. But I want to read to you verse 19 because therein are con contained some responses of Josiah. Because, Huldah speaking, your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I have spoken against this place and its people, that they would become a curse and be laid waste. And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Response number two, what is it? The, very simply, that his heart was responsive to what God spoke 
he heard. And he, he, he let that message, message reach deep into his heart, right? It didn't have to be that way. He, he could have, you know, responded with a hardened heart. Hey, I am the king of Judah. Who is God to tell me what to do? <laughs> you know? Or, or, you know, the reality is, you know, threaten my kingdom. I'll show you what's going to happen. We can respond to God with a hard heart, and it's just like the Word of God comes and it bounces off our hardened heart, and it has no effect. You know, he could have responded with some apathy, as I've suggested we sometimes can, like, you know, it's not that big a deal, right, God? A little idolatry here and there, like, you can handle that, can't you? You're big enough to deal with idolatry in the land, aren't you, God? My friends, this man's response was heartfelt regret. And he allowed the word of God to penetrate his heart, to move him. He allowed the word of God spoken into his life to impact him. Do we? Like, honestly, do we? Third response here is that he, the text says, he humbled himself. Huldo recognizes that you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I have spoken against this place and its people. See, a big part of reading the Bible to the point where it might impact us is coming to a place where we allow, strange phrase, I know, but we allow God to be God. See, God's God whether we allow him or not. <laughs> but we come to a place where in our own experience we say, God, you are God, and I, you speak truth. And as you speak through your word, I am going to humble myself in your presence because of who you are and because of who I am. You see, we, we see, you see, we accept his ideas as right and good and not my ideas as right and good. You know that we have made mistakes, we accept it, and, and we recognize we're at fault. You see, that takes real humility in the presence of the living God. You know, to confess sin is to admit to or to recognize that something that I have done is wrong. We state the reality in his presence. And we accept that reality in a way that a proud person would never do. Me, sin? No. I'm better than that. I don't make mistakes. <laughs> Guilty before God? No way. We humble ourselves before the Lord in this fashion to hear his word and then having heard it, accept the reality of God being God. And then the fourth response that uh, Josiah gives us here, and I think it's maybe the most, for me the most profound reality, is that it says that he wept in God's presence. What do you think of that? The man literally broke down into tears. He was brokenhearted and he was incredibly sad at the unfaithfulness of his people and quite frankly, the unfaithfulness of himself as king to allow such a thing to happen. And I think a penetrating question, if we'll allow it to penetrate our hearts, is very simply this. Have, have you ever wept because of sin in your life? Wept. Out of sorrow. See, what I want to suggest today here in these, <clears throat> in these four responses of King Josiah is something the Bible calls Repentance. Repentance. Here is a man who is, who, who is deeply sorrowful. He's come to this place where he's troubled and his heart is responsive and he's humbled himself in the presence of God. But he's come to this place where he is, he is sorrowful. <laughs> 
and, and he realizes the condition of his country and he realizes the reality of what's taken place and he's brokenhearted. It reminds me of King David. It reminds me of a lot of people in the Bible, but King David who commits adultery with a woman named Bathsheba and to cover his tracks, not as in response to the reality of God's word that Josiah shows to us, but he, he kills Bathsheba's husband Uriah. He's doing just fine until the prophet comes along to him, Nathan, and speaks the word of God into his life has happened in those days in profound ways. And David becomes repentant. Psalm 51, fantastic expression of repentance. In the Bible, it talks about how, let the bones that you have broken rejoice. This man is broken, right? And he's saying, God, let me rejoice again. Bring joy back into my life. Take me beyond this sin into forgiveness and into grace and into joy. And I want to tell you in verse, uh, uh, 16 and, verses 16 and 17, there's something there that, uh, that speaks to this reality of, of Josiah weeping. David says to God in prayer, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings as was the experience of worship among the people of God then. It says, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. God, you will not despise. You see the dramatic difference between that and acceptance of sin and a, 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 a casual understanding and, and practice of sin? This man's heart, he is grieving over what has happened. David grieved over what had taken place in his life. He wished it had never happened. In both instances, they wished it had never happened. Josiah shed tears. You see, this is what the Word of God does, my friends. The Word of God comes, and it comes as a blessing into our lives, and it comes by the power of the Holy Spirit, and it speaks to our hearts, and it leads us to repentance. And I want to tell you this, my friends, particularly those of you who have never experienced anything like this. We desperately need to repent in the presence of God for the sin that we have committed, every single one of us. Let me say this, Christianity without repentance is not Christianity. It's moralism. <laughs> it's propositional faith. Oh, I believe this and this and this and this, but I've never really come to terms with God and my unfaithfulness before him and sought the forgiveness that only he can provide. Some people might say, you know, Chris, <laughs> you know, sin this much focus? Or haven't we gone beyond that in faith? You know, why focus on the judgment of God such as, you, you, know, you, you know, this text has? Tell me the good news of grace. Tell me of the cross. Tell me of what Jesus has done. Let's just move beyond this discussion on sin, couldn't we? My friends, let me say this to you. Unless the gravity of sin impacts our lives through the Word of God, the ministry of the Spirit of God, as we read the Word of God, we will never appreciate how good the good news is. Without the gravity of sin impacting our lives in a profound way, we will never appreciate the cross and what Christ has, to the extent Christ has gone in order, gone in order to save us from our sin. 
Unless we allow the gravity of our sin to unfold in our minds and our consciousness as we sit in the presence before in the presence of God, we will never truly understand the power and the significance of the grace of God that He offers to us. See, my friends, if we choose not to think too much about sin, we become like the people of G Judah in the before picture who were ignorant of the reality of sin in their lives and whose sin didn't bother them very much. And I would suggest to you this text is a text which suggests we need to know and understand at a deep level our unfaithfulness when we are unfaithful because understanding that reality is the pathway to grace. We don't get to grace unless we go at it and, and to it through this dynamic. I want to tell you, my friends, it is the work of the Holy Spirit to convict in our lives so that we might see the reality of our sins, so that we might see the reality of our need, because it is in that point that we are led into the presence of the Lord Jesus who saves us from sin. Happens over and over again in Scripture. I described to you King David, <laughs> great man of God who blew it. And if he can blow it the way he did, so can you and so can I. I think of, of, of Isaiah, you know, in the year King Uzziah died, famous passage from Isaiah chapter 6, I saw the Lord high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. He saw the reality of God. He entered into the presence of God in that moment. It says this, Isaiah 6, 5 and 6. After encountering God and understanding his sin, he said, Woe to me, I cried, for I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. <laughs> he said, I'm ruined. I'm done. There's no hope. But it was at that point when he had encountered and accepted and embraced the reality, having had his eyes opened to the reality of God that this verse comes, then one of the seraphim, an angel, flew to me with live coals in his hands, which he had taken from the tongs from the altar. And it goes on to say how the seraphim touched the tongs, uh, the, the coals to his tongue. I wish I had asked that that verse be uh, popped up there for you, and I'm going to go to it really quickly because I know that I didn't. And it says this... Um, with it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. <laughs> see, first we see our sin and we recognize it in the presence of God and then grace flows into our lives. My friends, I want to tell you, we don't get to grace without repentance. I want to go back to verse 19 uh, and, and then read verse 22 because the, in the, those two verses, there are absolutely key words that I want to identify for you. So verse 19, I want to suggest the word because, which is used twice, is the absolutely key word in these verses. Because, Hulda says, your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I had spoken against this place and its people, that they would become a curse and be laid waste. And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I also have heard you, declared the Lord. <laughs> See how one thing leads to another? And then verse 20, key word here, um, 
I want to suggest to you is the word therefore, as a result of, because you responded in that way. Therefore, I will gather you to your ancestors and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I'm going to bring on this place. So they took her answer back to the king. <laughs> because you responded as you responded with a softened heart, with humility, you know? Because you responded, <clears throat> excuse me, in such a way that, that your heart was humbled in my presence and because you grieved the reality of what you had been led to see through an understanding of Scripture. Because of that, therefore, I will give you peace in the land. And you, Josiah, will never see the destruction which I am, about, which I am going to bring. It came later on after this man's death. See, my friends, what I'm suggesting to you today, what I want to suggest to you today is that what we are looking at here is the gospel, the gospel of Christ. Uh, the the stories being told there is told in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And as it's told in so many pages of the Bible, you see, why did Jesus come into the world? He came into the world because we were lost in sin. And why, why did Jesus go to the cross? He went to the cross because he, want, he, he went to take to himself the penalty for what? Our sin. And like Josiah, my friends, when we believe in that one named Jesus and we actually repent out of faith as an expression of faith in the presence of our God, like Josiah, what will we experience? We will experience peace. And most importantly, peace with God. This is the gospel. Now, I asked earlier, what is the impact of the knowledge of God's word in your life? Um, how is the discovery of that book powerful in your experience? I guess what I want to say is that if, if, if you haven't discovered the book, there's probably not much impact. If the book has been lost to you, if the book is something that you've become disconnected from in your life or you have never connected to, you're not going to get to the place Josiah got to or the place King David got to or the place Isaiah got to or the place God longs for you to get to. Christianity without repentance is not Christianity. See, what happens when we see what God wishes us to see of himself and of his will is that, that that takes us beyond a cavalier attitude to sin and it takes us into the presence of a holy God and it leads us to this place of faith and out of that faith comes a repentance and we find ourselves, the Bible says, saved as a result. Again, you know, our vision when we have a church full of people who are spiritually mature followers of Christ who are passionately living to bring the kingdom of God in all areas of life. Again, what gets you from point A to point B, from spiritual immaturity to maturity, from passionately living from something else for something else to passionately living so that the kingdom of God will come in all areas of your life and the life of this world? What gets us there? Well, as the sentence says, what gets us there <laughs> is our being transformed by the power of the word of God. And I want to tell you, my friends, the only way that we experience the Word of God in power is when we study it and when we dig in and we're hungry for God and we seek His face and we want to know what the Spirit of God wishes to speak from this incredibly inspired book. 
And we will come to a knowledge of our sin if that is the case. And we will be led to repentance. And we will then be led into a deep experience of grace. And that is where God wants us to be. I'm going to finish this morning essentially by <clears throat> saying this. Every single one of us needs to acknowledge and faithfulness and repent of our sin. Uh, there may be people here today who need to do that for the very first time. You may never, you know, have been troubled by your sin before. Maybe you are now because the word of God is being preached. You may never have humbled yourself in his presence. You may, may never had that responsive heart. You may never have wept because of the things you have done. And there's an invitation for such people. Jesus says, come to me, for I am your savior, and I will forgive your sin because of the power of the cross. I have shed my blood that your sin might be cleansed, that you might be washed as white as snow, Psalm 51 says. That you will end up in a place when God the Father looks at you, he sees sinless perfection, my sinless per perfection, says Jesus. I'm going to give all of us an opportunity to repent today, but my friends, if you're one of those people who have never come by faith into the presence of God and engaged God in that way, I, I invite you to do that. I tell you, that's one of the most important things a human being will ever do. I want to also speak to people who are believers, followers of Jesus, people who have engaged this before. You know what I want to tell you is this is something that doesn't happen once. It has to keep on happening. You know that? Very simply, can I ask the question, how often do you repent of your sin in a week? Is it part of your faith experience? Is it part of your relationship with God? First uh, John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, really well-known verses say this. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. It's, it's the point, right? That's the before picture. If we confess our sin, if we recognize it in humility and repentance before God, He, God, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. My question for you is, to, who, to whom is that verse written? Believers or non-believers? It's written to believers, the church. <laughs> we have got to be a people who take sin seriously, and we have got to be a people who are humbled in the presence of God and who are impacted by the word of God and who recognize on a regular and daily basis that I need to repent of what I have done. But as we do so, what happens? God, the Father, forgives us our sins, and he purifies us from all unrighteousness. It's the most incredible, remarkable, beautiful, life-transforming thing that a person can engage. And you know what I want us to do uh, as we conclude today is I simply want us to take a moment and repent. I can't repent for you. I can repent for me, and I need to do it lots. <laughs> I confess my sin all the time. Yes, your pastor, all the time because I'm a human being and I don't have a capacity to move beyond the stuff. Nor do you. But every time we confess our sins, we're drawn back into this fellowship with Jesus and this intimate relationship with God. And we are where God wants us to be. So can we take a few minutes and repent?
just in the quietness of your own heart before God, if you have never repented before the Lord, if you've never acknowledged your sin and confessed it to him and asked him to forgive you, I just implore you to do so. Because in that moment, the, the, the Lord will come and he will, he will dwell within you and he will transform your life. And my friends, if that has happened to you previously, guess what? It's just another opportunity to get right with God and to know a deep fellowship with him. So I'm going to just take about a minute. And if you wish, you can close your eyes in God's presence and you can repent of your sin. And you can encounter grace which flows from the heart of God into the lives of his people over and over and over and over again. So let's pray. Father, as we have heard your word, as we have been confronted with the truth of Scripture, we recognize the need to come in the quietness of this place, in the silence of our own hearts, to acknowledge our sin to repent of our sin so that we might experience your grace, your forgiveness again. Lord, here is now, we pray. Hear us as we from responsive and humbled hearts, from we who are grieving over the things that we have done. Lord, come to you to seek your grace, to experience it through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we think of King Josiah and the people of Judah, your people, in a day so long ago, and we recognize in the discovery of the book and the, the repentance that you led Josiah to, there was incredible blessing. For out of that experience of your word and through the experience of repentance, peace was extended in the land for many years. And we recognize our God that as we live out this reality still today, that peace is our experience with you. And God, how we praise you for grace. How we praise you for the cross of Christ, his blood shed on that cross, that we might be forgiven an infinite number of times. That, Lord, we might know grace given to us, that we be treated not as we deserve, but in the goodness of God, with blessing. That, Lord, that we might know intimate fellowship with you communion with the living God. Lord, how we praise you for your word. How we praise you for the work of your spirit which leads us to repentance. How we praise you for the reality of forgiveness and the experience of grace. 
thank you, God, for your goodness and for your love, which endures forever. Let's stand and worship together.